Jesus, we're going to get into his word. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Paul's letter to the Christians in Philippi, and specifically Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And I want to share some thoughts with you this morning about the invisible inner power that governs all people. Men, women, boys, and girls, everyone who has ever been, there is an invisible inner power that truly governs and directs our lives. It determines how we're going to live our life. And this invisible inner power is called simply our thought life. Our thought life. Paul writing to uh, these Christians in Philippi, and, and in verse 6, he exhorts them to do something that's difficult for all of us. He says, I don't want you to be anxious about anything. I don't want you to be worrying about anything. And when you just read that one phrase, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm sitting there thinking, that's easy for you to say, or at least in this context, that's easy for you to write. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But he doesn't just leave us there. He didn't just leave them there. He began to explain how we can reach towards that goal and begin to experience that in our own lives. And so he goes on in verse 6, as you see in Philippians 4, you know this verse probably very well, where he, he simply says, be anxious for, about, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading or supplication, if that's what your translation is, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. It says the first thing is that you need to be talking to God about everything in your life. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse a, to add this to what he is teaching, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent and if anything worthy of praise, and he adds this phrase, think or dwell on these things. And that word for think or dwell It's written in the present imperative, which simply means what he is instructing them to do is that you have to be intentional in doing this and you have to be consistent in doing this. I want you to dwell, not just a passing thought, but I want you to fill your mind, your thinking with these things. So what I want to do this morning is talk about the impact of our thought life because obviously Paul sees an incredibly important part of our lives is going to affect our lives in many, many different ways. So I want to start from the beginning. So let's look, first of all, at the impact of our thought life, and let's go all the way back to Genesis. So hold your place there in Philippians. We'll get back there sooner or later, probably later, but we'll get back there. And let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, And this encounter that Adam and Eve had, of course, with the serpent, whom we know, of course, was Satan himself. I want you to notice that as this conversation starts, I want you to notice what and how Satan attacks Adam and Eve. You say, well, it was just Eve. No, it wasn't just Eve. If you read verse 6, we're not going to read it today. If you read verse 6, it says that Eve ate of the fruit 
and gave it to her husband who was with her. He was there the whole time. So guys, that's a whole different study about how he failed as being a spiritual leader of uh, this relationship and in this situation. But what I want to see today is what he tar- what Satan targeted as he began to try to move them away from the will of God and the love of God in their lives. So it says in verse 1, it says, now the serpent, Satan, of course, was more cunning. That kind of gives you a clue there. Something in which he was being very deceitful, obviously, than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, just by asking the question, he's planted a seed. He planted a seed in her mind to be thinking about what God really said. And so she responds back to to him and said, uh, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now just notice something right quickly here that uh, even now, immediately in her response, we're beginning to see a change in her thinking because she adds something that God never said. God didn't tell him not to touch it. He told him not to eat it. So already this little seed that's been planted by Satan is getting to, to show itself and show that it has an impact on her. So then it goes on to say, if we go down to uh, verse 4, it says, The serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. So notice what he focused on. He attacked, he assaulted her mind. What I mean by that, he planted seed. Why? Because the thought life is the control tower of our life. You've heard me say this many times through the years that everything about our life comes through our mind. This is the control tower of our lives. And you may have heard me say that. You may agree with me on that, may not. But I have a sneaky suspicion a lot of times we just blow that on through. But this is the importance of this message today. The truth I'm trying to get across to you is that the power of our thought life has an incredible impact on every aspect of our lives. And that's where the battle is always going to be waged. And we know the end result of this, right? He planted the seed, ended up, they sinned against the Lord uh, as a result of it. Every sin I've ever committed, and I'm not going to say how many of those are, but every sin I've committed or you have committed started right here. It starts in the mind. It starts in our thought life. And so here's what I want you to think about for just a moment. They made several mistakes here. I'm just going to focus on one. The one I think was the most important of all. They allowed, listen to me, they allowed Satan to speak into their life. That's what happened. They allowed Satan to speak into their life. The moment we give someone... Uh, our undivided attention, just by giving them undivided attention, we're placing value on what they say. It may not be a high value at all, 
but you're still placing value on what they're saying because you're giving them your undivided attention. They have the freedom now to speak into your life. And if they're not speaking truth into your life, they're speaking why into your life. It may be their philosophy, it may be their idea, you know, all of those things. But when you allow, and I allow someone to speak into my life, then I am giving them the opportunity to influence my thinking, have an impact on my thought life. That's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve, is that they allowed Satan to speak into their life. So here's the word. You need to be extremely, extremely careful as to who you allow to speak into your life. Now, you can't always control who's going to confront you or what you're going to be confronted by or whatever. They, they didn't seek Satan out here. Satan sought them out. He confronted them, and, but they gave him undivided attention, put value in what he said, the seed was planted, and they ended up sinning against the Lord. So we all have to be extremely careful who or what we allow to speak into our lives, not only as individuals, but even as a married couple. You know, we have friends. We like to have fellowship. I love fellowship. And I love being with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I love just talking and sharing and, and all that. But here's the thing. You got to be careful of those who are in your circle, your world of influence that you are interacting with, which ones you're going to allow to speak into your life. Now, I want to sometimes reach out to those who don't know the Lord, and I want to speak into their life, right? You know, I want to speak truth into their life. I want to exemplify truth and speak through my life into their life. That's a good thing. Obviously, the Lord wants us to do that. At the same time, we have to be wise enough not to allow those of the world to speak into our lives. Uh, that's really what's happening in America. It's been happening quite a while in America and where we are today. What is the real basis of the woke movement that we're having to deal with? I tell you what they're doing. They're assaulting our mind. They're using terminology. They're creating new terminology. They're talking about gender identity. And, and they're talking about, well, there's no such thing as a mother now. It's just a birth uh, bearing parent, whatever the terminology is. Well, they're, they're changing the terminology to impact our thinking. Why do you think they would want, making sure of all who's here, <laughs> making sure why they would want to talk to four and five-year-olds about sexual things? You know why? Because they know the power of the mind. They know they can set that seed. They can plant that seed. And they can raise up a generation of those who will follow the same darkness and the same depravity that they're going down as well. They're wise enough or at least clever enough to know that's where the battle is. So the sooner they can get you and they begin to feed these things into their minds, speaking it into their life, then the greater chance they have that they will draw them into their darkness and into their depravity. And so not only individually, not only as couples, but as families, as parents, Listen, you can't control everything that's going to confront your child or your children. 
there's so much out there. You know what I'm talking about. There's so many ways in which this world, this godless, ungodly world can speak into our children's lives. But we have to be so incredibly vigilant to be able to handle that and be able to protect our children and what we are allowing and who we are allowing to speak into their lives. How many times have I have had as a pastor, I've had many like just families that were just part of the body of Christ, excited about the Lord and living for the Lord. And, and so they begin to develop some relationship, but then they have relationships outside the body of Christ. And all of a sudden, this other relationships are beginning to speak into their life. And all of a sudden, you see them less, you see them less, and then you don't see them at all. Where'd that seed come from? How did they get there? Well, someone was able to get into their thought life, speaking to their life, and move them away from the Lord and the things of the Lord. How effective was it? Well, look with me in Genesis chapter 6 and in verse 5. Just three chapters later, you know, and here's what's happening on the earth. Started right there, two people, Adam and Eve, Satan speaks into their life. They allow him to speak into their life. They sin. And now where is the world? Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth, and that every, watch this, every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. Continually. It just like just turned around and boom, the whole world is now corrupted. Because it all started with Satan speaking into the lives. They allowed him to speak into their life that which wasn't true. They sin and now the whole earth is filled with wickedness. Notice the connection here that's used in this verse between thoughts and heart. It says that the intent of every thought of his heart was continually evil. You'll see this in Scripture often, really over 200 times, where there's this direct connection drawn between my mind and my heart, your mind and your heart. And what this is emphasizing to us, and you've heard me say this before, I just want to rivet it into your, your thoughts, this truth, that we never follow our heart. We, have, we never follow our heart. I know it's a catchy phrase that is used in movies, okay? But we don't follow our heart. We take our heart where we want it to go. How do we do that? Through our thought life, right here. This is the control tower. My heart does not control me. My mind controls me, and my mind controls my heart. So, Solomon says this in Proverbs 4. Just, we're working our way through. Join me on this. Proverbs chapter 4. Verses 23 through 27. Now just listen carefully to what Solomon is saying here. He begins in verse 22, uh, verse 23, and he says this, Watch 
over your heart with all diligence. Now that phrase all diligence means with everything you've got. Let me use a phrase that many of you relate to. You've got to be all in in taking care of your heart. You can't be casual. You can't be just here and there and, and sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. No, he says you've got to be all in. You've got to give everything you've got to protect your heart. Well, how do we do that? Well, we've got to do it through protecting our mind, protecting our thought life. What's coming into? Who are we allowing to speak into our lives? What are we allowing to speak into our lives? Is it just the truth of the Word of God or is it the philosophies of this world, this secular humanism that has overwhelmed our country, our culture right now that is driving everything that you're seeing, the woke and the everything else that is taking place. All of that comes from this secular humanism that is godless and ungodly. So what are we allowing into our mind that's impacting our heart? Well, let me show you. It shows here that what is happening in our heart affects three areas of our lives. He goes on to say in verse 24, it governs What's this? It governs our speech. Verse 24 says, rid yourself. Let me read all of verse 23 so it'll fit in with verse 24. Watch over your heart with all diligence, and from it flows the springs, for from it flows the springs of life. Rid yourself of a deceitful mouth and keep devious speech far from you. Let me word it this way. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Do I have a witness on that? What's down in the well is going to come up in the bucket. Now, you may be able to hide what's down in the well until, until something really happens and you're really upset and you're really getting angry. And all of a sudden, isn't it interesting how things change? Even our language changes. We're all fired up and upset about something and then what's down in the well starts coming up in the bucket. Isn't that what we're seeing now? The response right now of those who are part of the woke movement and everything going on, man, they're, they're ticked off, right? They're, they're upset over the uh, Roe versus Wade being reversed. And, and so what, what, and this is not the first time, obviously, but what have we continually seen from them? What comes out when they get upset? It is hate. I mean, it is overflowing with hate and with, with vulgar language. And they're just consumed with this vulgar language. I can't, obviously, not going to repeat it here. I don't have to. If you watch the news, you've heard it, and you know the word, particularly the word, that they just seem to be totally obsessed with. It's pouring out, right? It's down in the well. And it's just revealing the real condition of their hearts and their soul. That's why you have to guard your heart with everything, which means you're going to have to start with what governs your heart, and that's your mind, your thought life, what you are allowing to speak into your life, who you're allowing to speak 
into your life. Not only does it govern our speech, but of course, it also uh, governs our sight. Listen to what it says in verse 25. He goes on to write, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. There is a what I call a universal proverb. It's not a proverb in scripture. It's kind of a universal proverb being used for years. It says the eyes are the, are the, are the window of the soul. Well, Jesus put it a better way. Matthew chapter six. Would you turn there with me? Matthew chapter six, verses 22 and 23. Here's what Jesus said. Talking about our eyes what we see, what we watch, what we allow into our soul through our eyes. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. In other words, if what you are gazing upon what you are watching, what you are putting your sights on, if it's good, if it's things of the Lord, it's of truth, then you have light. But he says this, but if your eye is bad, you're, you're, you're watching the wrong things and reading the wrong things, which means the words are being filtered into your mind and eventually down to your heart. He said, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So that, so if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So how it gets there. It's not created in our hearts. It's brought to our hearts. And we bring it to our hearts through our thought life, through our minds. What we watch, what we see, what we place our focus on is a window to our heart, to our soul. So it governs our speech, it governs our sight, and of course it governs our steps as well. Back in Proverbs uh, chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So it's just simply saying this. You, you've got to give, give everything you've got. And just think about the world we're living in. Think about what our children are, are having to deal with, what we're having to do with, what the body of Christ is having, what we as believers are dealing with now. He says, you have got to do everything you can to protect your heart. And it's our responsibility. It is my personal responsibility. It is Kathy and I's personal responsibility when it comes to our marriage, when it comes to our family, when it comes to our children, our grandchildren now. It, we have a personal responsibility to first of all watch and take care of our hearts because it will govern our speech, it will govern our sight, it will govern our steps, that is how we live our lives. Here's how the New Testament deals with it. Romans chapter 12, verse two. 
Paul writes, and do not be conformed to this world. See, here's the problem. Jesus said that when he would build his church, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But he's going to build his church on what truth? That which is good. We'll look at these words in just a moment. That is mentioned all in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. And But there's so many, I'm just going to say it, so many quote-unquote church-going people who are not protecting their heart. They're not. And so it's impacting their speech. It's impacting their sight, what they're watching and what they're okay with watching and doing and things in life. They're compromising. And in compromising, we're being conformed. And so now we have churches who are apologizing for standing on truth. We have believers say, well, I guess it's okay. No, it's not. It's not okay. It's darkness. It leads us to depravity. It destroys lives. So he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's what he says. The renewing of your mind. Not your heart, your mind, your thought life, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then Paul says this in his second letter to the Christians in Corinth, chapter 10, and in verse 5, he writes to them, says, we are destroying arguments. and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we are, here's the key phrase, taking every thought captive. Not taking our heart captive. Why? Because our heart is going to go wherever our thought life takes it. We've got to start where the source is. We've got to deal with the source. That's our minds. He said we're taking every thought captive to obedience of Christ. So you see how important this is? The impact of our thought life, it affects every single area of our lives. Everything. Our attitudes, our actions, our speech, our sight, our steps, how we live our life. It is that invisible inner power that is driving us in how we live. So, with the few moments I have left, I want to drive that point home. <laughs> I want to talk about the investment. The investment into our thought life. So go back with me to Philippians. I'm going to give you three things very quickly. First of all, it starts with building. Listen, you got to build a wall of 
prayer. Let me just back up from verse 8, verse 6 again. Just read it carefully with me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication or pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I want to ask you a question. Do you talk to God about everything? Paul just said everything. You say, well, this is trivial stuff. I think everything includes that. <laughs> everything means everything. <laughs> now, we just have this struggle, I think, with prayer from the standpoint, and I get it because there are times where I'm just, I want to be on my face before God because I'm just overwhelmed with his holiness and his righteousness and his glory and, and his greatness. And it's just like, oh, you know, I just feel that sense of separation because of just how awesome he is. I get that. And a lot of people think that that's, that's the only element of prayer there is, is to be able to approach God like that. But God wants to have a conversation with us. Or he wouldn't say everything. He is telling us through his servant Paul, I want you to continually be in conversation with me every day what's going on in your life. Now, I had to ask myself the same question. I did not like the answer. Seizure <laughs> to preach and maybe practice. Just a little confession there. But the truth is, one of the keys to protecting our mind is to have this ongoing conversation with the Lord God of heaven and earth, our eternal God and Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That keeps me focused, keeps my mind going in the right direction, simply by a continual conversation with him as they live out through the day. But not only build, not only build a wall of prayer, but secondly, build a wall of positive spiritual thinking. Let me qualify that. I'm not talking about positive thinking. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't know if that's still out there. I know for a while that was a big deal. Different men, very uh, gifted men in communication and things like that were just constantly teaching positive thinking and positive thinking. Well, look, if anyone has a right to be positive, it's the child of the living God. Do I have a witness on that? But I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm talking about positive spiritual thinking. What I'm going to fill my mind with. And he gives this list. He says in verse 8, whatever is true not what is partial truth. I've shared with you before what my mom taught me about partial truth. It's a total lie. Partial truth is a total lie. It's not potential truth. Well, it may be true, 
But then you just set yourself up. Then, well, I may, I may be able to embrace this. Listen, if, when the word for true here means factually true. No question, no doubt. And of course, it's going to be based on what? The word of God, right? The word of God. The inerrant, infallible, inspired by God word to us. And by the way, that means speaking truth as opposed to lying. When we lie, then we're opening up our minds for Satan to deceive us. Isn't it true? There are people out there that they they believe their own lies. They do. They'll, they'll lie about one thing so long that it becomes truth to them. And it's not truth at all. But in their mind, there you go. So he says that which is true, whatever is honorable, some translations have the word honest, noble, those things that would be good before the Lord, those, those type of information and thoughts that would be pleasing to the Lord. Whatever is right, righteous, what's right before God, what's right towards your fellow man. Um, what is pure, pure is a big deal in the word of God. Praise his name for that, purity. Whatever's lovely, whatever is commendable. All, all these things that he mentions here all deal with filling our minds that gives the Holy Spirit of God the tools to protect our thought life and in turn protect our hearts and our lives as a result of it. So we build a wall of prayer we build a wall of positive spiritual thinking and we build a wall of praise. All things that are praiseworthy. Another way of wording that is just an attitude of gratitude. Outwardly expressed. Exemplified by my grandmother Kenmore. Uh, what a sweetheart she was. Now Charlie, her husband, preacher Charlie, great preacher, but she was a sweetheart. Everywhere she went, she verbally expressed her gratitude. You'd be going down the road with her. She'd see a little church over there on the hill. She'd say, oh, Lord, thank you for that body of Christ there. There's light there for people. Stop by the rest area. She'd get out verbally thanking the Lord for that rest area. I understood that part. what I'm saying is, this was consistent for her. This wasn't just every once in a while. That's why this word dwell is so important. A present tense imperative, which means we choose, we choose. It's not automatic just because you're a child of God. We choose 
purposefully and continuously to dwell on these things. Building that wall of prayer, building that wall of spiritual, uh, uh, positive spiritual thinking, building that wall of praise and attitude of gratitude to protect your mind that you can protect your heart through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So my challenge to you is to not just blow this off. <laughs> It'd be easy to blow it off because we just got so many things going on in here, right? I mean, we're so busy. Don't blow it off. I'm sharing this from the depth of my heart with where we're headed in culture, this country, this world. If we don't take this seriously, we're the ones going to be blown off. Not physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, in every way of that nature. Don't blow this off. Father God, I just come to you in Christ. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for being so clear. I know there was so much more we could cover, but Father God, just, just this right here is so incredibly important. It's for me. It's a word for me. It's a word for all of us, Lord. And I trust in your mighty name that you will protect this word, the seed of this word in our hearts and in our minds so that, Lord God, you can use us and we can know your peace that surpasses all understanding. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you tonight at 6 o'clock, Upper Sanctuary.